And this is Jordan. Welcome back to Major Musings. Welcome back. And Jordan, now officially in Texas. How are yep. you? <laughs> I'm good. Um, I'm an hour behind you, but yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing good so far. Beautiful. Exciting. Yeah, I'm looking at your apartment right now. You're all settled. It's lovely. You've got orientation tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, it's... Um, it's all coming together fast. Yeah, it's crazy. I, my last day of work as we're recording this is tomorrow. And then after that, it's just going to be me packing up and getting ready. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. But anyways, um, so tell us, who will you be talking about today? So I'm going to be talking about the Mexican architect Tatiana Bilbao. She is very cool and very like well-known I think in like contemporary architecture circles so to speak. I didn't know about her until we went to Denmark last year because the Louisiana Museum, yeah the Louisiana Museum had an exhibition about her in her studio and yeah she's she's very cool so mm-hmm. I do just want to preface by saying that I'm not super well-versed in talking about architecture, not like other mediums like film or painting or whatever else. So just bear with me here if it's not like as deep or anything. (laughs) It's all good. Okay, so then I'll just start with her basic info she she was born in mexico city in 1972 Mm -hmm. and she graduated from the ibero american university with a bachelor of architecture and urbanism in 1996 two years later she won an honorable mention from the university for her career and for the best thesis for the year wow yeah And then she went on to work as an urban projects advisor for the Urban Housing and Development Department of Mexico City for a year. Mm -hmm. She then founded her eponymous studio in Mexico City, so Tatiana Bilbao Estudio, in 2004, and she soon began working on projects based in Mexico, Europe, and China. Hmm. Yeah, throughout her career, she's held appointments as a visiting professor at tons of universities. Um, So some examples are the Andres Bello University in Santiago de Chile, Rice University, which is in Houston, Columbia, Yale, the Harvard Graduate School of Design, the Architectural Association School of Architecture in London, and the Peter Behrens I don't know if I pronounced that right, but School of the Arts in Germany. So Very cool. Yeah, so she's been teaching at a lot of different universities. She's been all over. Yeah, and I believe she also had an appointment at the Ibero-American University as well. So like where she Mm -hmm. got her degree from, she also taught there. And when I was doing research, I actually discovered she was invited to do a lecture at UT Austin like three years ago. So I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, at their School of Architecture, they brought her in. Wow. Yeah. So one of the first major projects that her studio was a part of was an exhibition pavilion in Xinhua Architecture Park, which is Mm -hmm. located in, I don't know the exact city, but it's near Shanghai. 
in in China. And the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei coordinated a group of up-and-coming architects from around the world to design and develop a large park that's organized into a network of pavilions that's located near the shore of the Yiwu River. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. That was one of her first big things that she did. That's exciting because he's a big name, not just in, you know, Chinese art, but really contemporary art globally. Yeah, and I think it's super cool that they have this architectural park with different structures just along the river. Like, I was trying to find pictures and I couldn't really in the research that I've done so far. So Mm -hmm. for for some of our posts for Instagram, I'm going to try to find an example of that, especially since it's like one of her first major ones. So... Um, But many of her projects, quote, explore and interpret her home country's historical culture and building traditions. So the landscape plays a crucial role in her work, and she uses it on various scales, from the Mexican countryside, through urban landscapes, to the internal landscape of an individual building. Okay. Yeah, so she is very involved and dedicated to building different projects or individual, you know, homes or structures in Mexico itself and very influenced, like that quote said, by by the tradition of Mm -hmm. Mexican culture and really drawing from specific challenges that Mexico faces and trying to address those in her architectural practice, which I think is really incredible. Um, yeah. Throughout her her work, she has kind of emerged as an advocate for affordable and accessible housing, not only mm. in Mexico, but also throughout the world. And in 2018, she wrote a book called A House is Not Just a House. And this book contains various essays that she had written throughout the years or, mm-hmm. you know, lectures that she had given and, you know, were put into the book form. And basically, they're advancing arguments on housing to be both expansive and minimal, inseparable from the broader environment outside of it, and predicated on the fundamental requirements of living. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a chance to read one excerpt from the book. So I will, you know, relay what, what I learned from that here sure, now. Yeah. So there's apparently a somewhat turbulent history of social housing in Mexico, which Mm. I did not know anything about (laughs) prior to doing this research. Yeah. And so a lot of her projects very much deal with that history as well. Mm -hmm. Many of the multifamily social housing projects in Mexico were started in the 1940s and then continued through the 60s. And she explains that in the 1980s, things changed when there was a massive earthquake in 1985. Some of these larger housing projects and buildings, especially in like Mexico City, actually collapsed. And yeah, because they hadn't, I guess, been, you know, built up to the standards they probably should have been. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of like the catalyst for people needing new housing and a lot of them actually Mm -hmm. left the city as well in 1992 the mexican president also changed the way that land ownership worked and i guess before it used to be more of like a communal thing and Mm -hmm. after this in the 90s 
land became more privatized. And so private developers then started building social housing for the government. And this is interesting because this resulted in what Bill Bao refers to as mass-produced housing. And these developers who were basically just trying to copy American suburbia without providing the infrastructure for it. Hmm. So, you know, Mexico City, I mean, I've never been, but it's supposed to be like an amazing city. But then once you leave the city, it's very rural, very Mm -hmm. underdeveloped. And basically these developers were trying to create this housing, but not providing any of the other things that need to go along with it. So not enough infrastructure, no roads, not enough cars, there's no schools or health services or jobs out there. So you're kind of just stranding the people out out there. Like you Mm. build them houses that are subpar and then don't give them anything else to work with. Yeah. And so the state of housing in Mexico really frustrated Bilbao. So that kind of inspired her to try to change it. And so one of the projects that her studio worked on was this 600-unit development for families that were displaced by a catastrophic mudslide. And so, yeah, so she said in this essay, when they were brought on to this project, there was already like a local developer or designer or something who had been working on this, and they had like a specific design for each of the houses so Mm -hmm. there was some flexibility but not a ton the design itself was slightly limited but she said quote for us it was way more important to understand the place and to start talking about the topography the geology the weather and so on the goal was to design the neighborhood more like a little town or city with a center in different densities unquote so that hopefully people would want to stay long term in these houses and these, you right. know, communities instead of just moving back to the hills or wherever else. And then, you know, risking another mudslide and losing everything again. Yeah. So because I mean, before all of these developers, I guess, would just build the kind of cookie cutter houses that were mm-hmm. the bare minimum and people would only stay in them for a few years because they didn't have enough of the other amenities sort of thing, nothing to, to keep the people there. And right. so Bilbao really wanted to, to change that and to create things that actually offered people something more. And I think this is one of the coolest things about Bilbao and her studio. So they do work on projects that are upscale and luxurious and, you know, they have done houses for you know like a rich family that commissioned her or something and those are beautiful but then her and her whole studio and the team is also very much focused on you know working class and lower class housing but in a way that doesn't feel less than like it's not great yeah. yeah it's not being like oh here this is the the you know the most simple you don't thing feel, yeah you don't feel like you're um being treated any different just because you're not paying her some massive like for for a massive commission she's still treating it in the same way as those other projects which is really cool right exactly she wants to provide more than the bare minimum and to create housing that 
will serve its inhabitants for decades mm-hmm. and not just a few years. Yeah, because the fact that housing, housing, not just, I, I don't know much about Mexico City, but housing in general, public housing, has always been the bare minimum. Yeah. And it clearly hasn't worked. Right. <laughs> because for a lot of people, they can't even get in because there's so many trying to access that housing. But even those who do, you know, it's not, it's not enough. It doesn't solve their problems. Yeah. So it's usually... It's great that she acknowledges that. Yeah. It's usually never what people think it will be or like what it should exactly. be as, yeah. as a bare minimum. Yeah. Um, and so with this forward-thinking approach, much of her practice also has come to think about sustainability and how architecture can be built in sustainable ways. So I think this is also really cool in the fact that, you know, she is trying to come up with these new, like, actually meaningful and decent public housing Mm -hmm. projects, but also these projects that are also thinking about sustainability in the future long term. (laughs) This is kind of funny, but in an Mm -hmm. interview that she did with the Louisiana Museum for the exhibition... She stated, quote, I hate the word sustainability because I think oh. it, <laughs> yeah, because I think it has become a word that can qualify a type of architecture. And for me, it should be embedded. And especially when you come from a country with no resources, you're used to not wasting resources, end quote. Oh, that's Which, a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. So she explains further that in Mexico... Because there is such a need for all these different resources, when she, for example, throws something away, it's not necessarily going to a recycling center that's going to be turned into something new, Mm -hmm. quote, new. It's going to be reused by other people, you know, half a dozen times. And she's speaking to this type of thinking that I think isn't talked about enough sometimes in richer, more developed countries like the U.S. when it comes to sustainability, And Mm -hmm. it's this idea of just not using and consuming as much in general. So, like, not just recycling and switching to electric cars, which, you know, is good and important, but it's just genuinely using less resources and just reusing what is already available so that Mm -hmm. we're not trying to create more waste. And so somewhere like Mexico... You know, this is maybe done sometimes because they're forced to do it. Um, Mm. Maybe they don't have any other choice sometimes. But it shouldn't only have to be these, quote, like, poorer countries who are practicing these methods. And so I I really liked what what she said about that. Um, And so then how this would translate back into architecture and for her practice, uh, Bilbao gives an example of designing a building that doesn't require air conditioning in Mexico because it simply would be too expensive and would use too much energy. So like, I mean, I, you know, have lived in Florida my whole life and now I'm living in Texas. So, you know, two very hot states where I, I love air conditioning and I'm very used to it. Uh, But like, I can definitely acknowledge that it is a privilege of living in the 21st century U.S., that Absolutely. it is available and, you know, like relatively affordable. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I also, when I was thinking about this, I remember when I was at UF, I did take a class called Sustainable Solutions for the Built Environment. Mm-hmm. And I do remember learning about, you know, different like building techniques or designs 
that can take advantage of things like natural light and weather patterns to cool and warm houses like without using right. a ton of like extra extra things like a heating system or the air conditioning. Right. So like it's very possible in the US and other developed mm-hmm. places to implement <laughs> these practices For sure, yeah. without just turning immediately to all this like new crazy technology. Mm-hmm. Cause like and this could be like a whole other tangent, but like sometimes I'm like, we don't need all of this technology that's being built. Like we just have to change things that are already in practice. But, right. Oh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Um, going along with the, this idea of sustainability, then, uh, I do want to mention that in 2014, Bilbao was awarded the Global Award for Sustainable Architecture, which was given by the Locus Foundation and the Seat de l'Architecture in Paris. The irony when she dislikes the word sustainability. Right, yeah. Um, this award is presented annually to five architects who have shown unique approaches to sustainable development in response mm-hmm. to, the needs of, ugh, to the needs of society, which I think is cool because they're like picking up on the fact that even though she maybe doesn't like to identify as someone who is engaging in like sustainable practices mm-hmm. as like a like a big term, like, oh, I'm a sustainable architect. Like she is implementing these ideas into her work. Yeah. And then in 2017, she also received the Architizer A-plus Impact Award for her groundbreaking work in social housing and sustainable design. Mm, So, yeah. So, I mean, she's, you know, received a number of awards and honors throughout her career, but there have been some, like the two I mentioned, that are specifically like focused Mm-hmm. towards that like sustainable architecture and design right. work that she implements throughout all of her her work. So I, I want to talk as well about the exhibition at the Louisiana Museum that Maria and I both got to see. Mm-hmm. It is part of a series of exhibitions that the museum started in 2017 called The Architect's Studio. And it, quote, turns the focus on a new generation of pace-setting architects who work with sustainable and socially aware architecture and face the challenges of globalization. So Bilbao and her studio being featured was part of the third installment of that series. So I think it's very cool and it really speaks to, it speaks to the work that she has been doing in the past decades decade or two and the fact that she you know apparently is a very prominent and well-respected architect which I think is very cool because like I said at the beginning I don't really know a ton about contemporary architecture and right all that stuff but I mean just seeing her works and like whether it's you know photographs and documentation of the actual buildings or it's the preparatory models and different collaged images that she puts together in preparing and designing work like all of it is beautiful and like that's what <laughs> that's what really drew me in when we saw it in person I was like wow all of this is stunning yeah and so the exhibition was very wide ranging um it was so it included like I said models for the different projects that she's done so those are you know obviously a little smaller scale it was set up on this kind of like square pedestal thing in mm-hmm. the middle, but it wasn't right. 
like raised. So like you walked around it and it was like off the floor. So mm-hmm. you could really like peer over and like look at everything. Yep. Um, and then some of those other like collaged pieces that I was mentioning were also on view that she did. And those are like artworks in themselves like <laughs> oh yeah some of them that I saw were stunning yeah Those were some of my favorites that she'd done in that exhibit right yeah they were yeah. super cool and then there was also like different um display cases sort of things or like shelves uh mm-hmm. from like her studio showing like her research process and the design oh, yeah, notes that. and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it was very cool. You could like pull out drawers and like look at everything. Like it was almost overwhelming how much was included. Yeah. And then as well, the other thing that was uh, very cool. Well, actually, there, <laughs> there were like two other aspects that were very cool. So um, the, I'll, I'll mention the first, which mm-hmm. kind of went along with some of her own like collage and drawings. But the Louisiana invited her to pick pieces from their own collection that, you know, kind of spoke to her or maybe dialogued with her own studio's practice. Mm-hmm. And those were, I, I believe they were all hung on the walls that were surrounding all the, the models on the floor. Um, so it's like on the perimeter of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, But I remember even those, I was like, I love all of these. Like, (laughs) when I was doing the research for this, I, like, went back and looked at my photos that I had taken. And I, there was one of Lucio Fontana, who was, like, an Italian artist in, like, the Mm -hmm. 60s. Um, Because the the piece is, like, polished metal. And then there were, like, holes that he, like, cut into it. And so, like, Maria and I, like, kind of took a selfie. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. That yeah. was so much fun. And then um, she'd also picked out a painting by the Danish artist Per Kirkeby, who I really like his paintings as well. And so they, Louisiana had an exhibition of his work mm-hmm. at that time as well. And then she had just like coincidentally picked out one of his paintings that was not on display in that exhibition. She had picked it out for her own, so... I was like, okay, I, I really like this. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was cool, too, because there were a lot of artists that she had picked who I never heard of either. And I was like, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to learn about other artists that I was unfamiliar with. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other part of the exhibit, which I think both you and I really liked, <laughs> Maria, was the, like, the life-size models yes that we could so much fun yeah so that was incredible it was in a a very large room you like walked down the stairs kind of you could like see up into the the floor above where you like had just come from and then you like go down the stairs and I think it was split into like maybe like five or so different like areas that Mm -hmm. kind of spoke to like different themes that are present in her architectural practice so like yep this question of like identity, which we all, we both have talked about a lot before, so I'm not going to talk about that now. But like <laughs> identity, and I think like the land and place, and like mm-hmm. all of these different things, and like how she brings those themes into her architectural pieces and projects. And yeah. you know, when you're in a museum, most of the time it's like, don't touch the artwork. You got to stay like five feet away or whatever it is and this was really great this is just like hey 
yeah. stomp all over this. Yeah, like, please walk on the sand that is next to this wall. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can, t- yeah, it, it was it was very cool and very engaging yeah. as a viewer. And especially because, like, I, I mean, I haven't really seen a lot of, like, architectural exhibitions at museums mm-hmm. before, so... I don't really know like what other exhibitions like that would necessarily mm-hmm. be like, but I mean, <laughs> like I said, like a minute ago, I did genuinely enjoy seeing her, like her own drawings and notes and models yeah. and all that stuff. But I think having the life-size installation pieces was a lot more engaging and it definitely made the exhibition more memorable. So I was very pleased that that was a part of yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this um, that's kind of all I've got for, for Tatiana Bilbao. Um, I feel like that was like a good, <laughs> good introduction to some of her work. Like I said, I don't, not used to talking about like architecture like this. Yeah, this was great, though. But yeah, I hope you enjoy learning a little bit more about her and for Maria being reminded of, again, our awesome trip to Denmark. (laughs) Such a good trip. Yeah. Um, I know. But yeah, thank you. That was great. Yeah, Um, thanks. Well, I guess, yeah, well, I guess it's time (laughs) to announce that. Because usually at this time, I'd say, oh, what am I doing? Who am I talking about next? Um, This is our last episode of the season. Yep. So this wraps up season one of Major Musings. Yes, that's Um, so crazy. (laughs) I know. 20 episodes. Yeah. Beautiful. It's a good good number. It is a good number. Beautiful number. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, that's about it, and we we will come back in a couple months. Um, we just figured this would be a good place to stop since Jordan's starting her classes soon. I'm making my transition to Chicago very soon, and we're both going to be quite overwhelmed with that. Yeah. <laughs> so this will be a pause for now, but mm-hmm. obviously stay tuned on our social media. We will announce when the next season comes out, and we are very excited yeah Um, yeah and thanks to everyone for following along for the past almost year yes we appreciate everyone who has supported us whether it's listening or you know even just engaging on social media we love it all so we appreciate it yeah and we can't wait to see what's next yeah and um yeah i guess we'll see you then so strange (laughs) i know thanks again jordan (laughs) yes thank you maria (laughs) all right so i guess we'll see you guys at some point soon yeah see ya bye bye